I want to begin today uh, just by reminding you that we are coming to the end of a three-week vision series. And um, the vision series has been for our church about our core values, our core values, uh, knowing Christ through the scriptures, growing together as a family, and going into the world to make disciples of Jesus. And this week, as we wrap up, um, we are going to go through the scriptures again to understand the why behind these core values. Why is this a core value to us? Why is it important to us? And how does this align with God's mission for his people? Um, as I've said before, these core values are our way here at Crossroads. It's our way of articulating who we are and what we are to be about as God's people, as a local church. And as we examine the scriptures, of course, I'm going to try uh, my best to give you some real life on the ground level application uh, that, so you have something to take with you uh, when you leave this place. And so if you're ready for week three, we're going to talk about going into the world to make disciples of Jesus, going into the world to make disciples of Jesus. And I'm going to begin by reading from our website, our Crossroads website. We have our core values on there, and we have a, a summary statement beneath each of them. So I'm going to start with reading that for this third core value. We serve others in a way that is directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We believe the best way to make disciples is to demonstrate the kingdom of God through a transformed life and serving our neighbors as we proclaim the good news of Jesus' resurrection. Therefore, in light of Christ's command in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we are committed to going into our world to make disciples of Jesus. And church, I cannot think of a better way to end this vision series than for us to open our Bibles and study Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is a passage that we recite at the end of each service each and every week. And so the temptation for you might be to like, you know, phone this one in or, 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 or take this one off because you're like, oh, I know that verse. I, I probably haven't, you know, maybe if I've been coming to Crossroads, I might have it memorized even. Um, I'm going to ask you to not do that <laughs> um, because we really do want to remind ourselves of the mission that Jesus gives to his church today. This passage is known as the Great Commission. The Great Commission, and if you, if you have a Bible with you, there might be like a little heading above um, this passage, and it might say the Great Commission. Um, that's what it's known as. Uh, the seminary that I went to, actually, where I um, was given my theological education, um, it was known as a Great Commission Seminary. And the verse that they had all over the campus was Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It was on like the banners when you walk through the quad. Um, it was on large signs in certain lecture halls and in common spaces. And they used uh, that verse um, as the verse that they felt like best described their role of equipping people for ministry in the world today. Like, this is the goal, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is what it's all for. This is what it's all about. And what I love is that as a church, when I got here to Crossroads, um, my first Sunday at Crossroads uh, back in 2017, um, at the end of the service, we read Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And to me, that was just so powerful because I'm like, this is a church that understands that we have to go into the world to make disciples. 
And so um, before we jump into that text, let's back up just a minute and let's set the stage for Jesus's final words to his disciples here. Um, so here's a little background on how we get to verses 18 through 20. We always read 18 through 20, but there's 17 verses before that in Matthew 28. And so let's, let's start reading in verse one. It says, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Have you ever noticed that when you read that before? Um, that when the angel comes to the stone, um, the, like his, his glory, like the angel's glory and bright light makes the guards who these guys are not like, weak guys, like these are like the tomb guards. They fall down and tremble like dead men. But the angel says to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Amen, church. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. That's a beautiful combination. They leave with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So let's recap that a little bit. Jesus had already completed his ministry on earth. He was put to death already on the cross and had already resurrected. That's what we just read. The account of Jesus's life and ministry in, can be found in the first 27 chapters of the book of Matthew. Chapter 28 of the book of Matthew is the last chapter. It's how it ends. And you can also read about Jesus, of course, in the other gospels, in Mark and Luke and John. Now, Jesus had appeared to his followers. He, he had proved to them that he had defeated death. He had defeated sin once and for all on the cross. And in verse 18, where Jesus begins to speak the Great Commission to his disciples, um, those verses, 18 through 20, those verses, they mark Jesus's last words to his disciples before he ascends to heaven. Like, that's the last thing he says to them before he goes up. And as you've heard me say before, last words are lasting words. Last words are lasting words. So we ought to give heed to them, to listen carefully to them, to take them into account and consideration for what they mean for us. And one last thing I'll mention in the way of background before we dive in is um, the, there's, a, there's a statement in verse 17, and it says that some doubted, some doubted. I'll read that verse to you, starting in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Okay, so that's interesting, right? Like, why would that little, but some doubted? Like, why would that be put in there? Um, Bible scholars tend to agree that this mention of doubt does not imply or lead to ultimate doubt for the disciples, because as we know throughout uh, their stories and throughout church history, um, we know um, that their life and their faith was demonstrated over and over again. Many of the disciples were martyred 
um, for their faith, which means that they were actually killed for what they were saying about who Jesus was and for the gospel. Um, so it's, it's, it's not good to think of that as like, oh, well, some of the disciples, like, you know, they, they, they were like, you know, against him or turned away or left the faith. That's not what it's saying. But it's best to think of this doubt as what you might say, hesitation to believe <laughs> or being of two minds about Jesus. Perhaps the disciples were even unsure if what they were seeing was reality. Because after all, how many times have you seen somebody come back from the dead? <laughs> so... So I mentioned this on the front end because maybe you're here today and maybe you're having doubts about Jesus. Maybe you're having doubts about this whole Christianity thing. Maybe you're having doubts about church. Maybe you're having doubts about your faith in general. And if that's you today, I just want you to see here that even Jesus' closest disciples often needed reassurance. They needed reassurance of what they had seen, what they had heard, and what they had believed. And I want you, if that's you, if you're experiencing some kind of doubt, I want you to experience for yourself today how Jesus' words have the power to ease your doubts. And if you're hesitant about fully devoting yourself to Jesus, I want you to hear anew, like for the first time, I want you to hear what he says in these well-known verses that we're about to study. And so if that's you, I would encourage you, ask God right now, Ask him right now to give you ears to hear and a heart to receive his word today as we dive into this passage. And so now we're going to read verses 18 through 20 together. Um, you can use your Bibles this time. This isn't like a memorization test. I know a lot of you guys are like, okay, I'm not going I'm, I'm to look at the screen. I'm not going to use my Bible when we recite it at the end of service, but you're allowed this time. So, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. A couple main points I have for us today. The first one is this. Why do we go? Why do we go? We go because all authority belongs to Jesus. We go because all authority belongs to Jesus. Um, so our third core value, going into the world to make disciples of Jesus. Why do we go? Because all authority is his. So let's start with that first sentence of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The first sentence, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So, you know, you may be interested to know, I did some translation work on this one to try to figure out what the word all means, okay? Because, you know, Surely it can't mean what, what we think it means, right? Well, guess what I found out? All means all. All. Like all authority. When Jesus says, church, all, he means all in the fullest sense of the word. This means, Crossroads, that our basis for going into the world to make disciples comes directly from the truth from the scriptures, that Jesus is Lord of all. Because he is Lord of all, we as his people are duty-bound to go in his name, to go into all the world, which Jesus, again, has all authority over. I'm stressing this for a reason. It's going to get old, I know. Um, he has all authority over it, and it's our job to preach the gospel to all the creation. And you can't escape the reality that Jesus' lordship is over everything. 
He is the central figure and Lord over the entire universe. And here's why this matters for us. Because if that's true, and we believe it is because we believe the scriptures, if that's true and Jesus is Lord of all, then he is our Lord too. And what he says about us and about our lives, that's the only thing that matters. And if we've surrendered our lives to Jesus, then the scriptures are telling us here, we have no choice but to go. We have no choice but to go. Any other choice is rebellion against the one who is Lord of all. So we have to decide for ourselves. Every single person in all of human history has to make this decision. Is Jesus Lord of all? If he is, then there's no choice but to go. There's no middle option there. (laughs) If we say that he's not, or we say that the go part doesn't apply to us, then we are denying his lordship over us which is a much bigger statement than saying we just don't feel like we should go or we don't feel called to go. To put Jesus' authority in perspective, just to, to make the point, think of the highest authority figure you can think of, the highest authority figure you can imagine, let's say, in government. In the United States, that's the president of the United States. They are the highest authority figure in government. In other countries, it might be a king or a queen or a prime minister They might be the highest authority figure. But whoever you think of, their authority is still limited to their nation's borders, right? Like the president of the United States does not have authority over what happens in Croatia, as an example. They don't have the same authority in another ruler's country. Or they don't have authority over things that, where borders don't matter, like weather, or creatures that live in the sea, or things like this. Now multiply the power of that authority by an infinite, unimaginably large number and expand the borders to now include the heavens, the earth, and everything in it. And by the way, that includes all the stars and galaxies, on and on and on. And then add the spiritual authority over every person in past, present, and future history. And the angels and the fallen angels that we know as demons, and even Satan himself. Now you are beginning to approach the all-encompassing authority of Jesus. Now we're getting to the idea that he is Lord of all. And what's amazing is, even during his earthly ministry, when Jesus humbled himself and came to earth and, and, and lived the life that we should have lived, a perfect sinless life, even, in, even when Jesus did that, People noticed his authority. They noticed it. Mark 1.27 says, and they were all amazed. So, so this is after Jesus teaches, right? So like he teaches a group and it says, at, you know, at the end he leaves and they're all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Ephesians 1.21 describes Christ as being far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. If that sounds familiar, we just sang it. (laughs) We just sang it. All thrones and dominions, all powers and positions, your name stands above them all. 
John 17, verses 1 through 2, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you have given him. Hebrews 1 through 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. We must go, church, we must go, and it's a core value, (laughs) because we serve a God who is King of kings, Lord of lords, ruler of the entire universe, and this God, Jesus, said go. (laughs) So why do we go? We go because Jesus is Lord, and because all authority belongs to him. That's why we go. The second thing I want you to see is in question and answer that I have here is, what do we do when we go? Okay, all right, Pastor Kyle, maybe you've convinced me that we should go. (laughs) Now, what do we do when we go? What do we do? Why do we go? Why does the Bible command us to go? What do we do when we go? We make disciples. We make disciples. In the original Greek, which is the language that this was written in, the main imperative verb, okay, half the room fell asleep. I said main imperative verb Greek. Everyone fell asleep. I get it. Um, in the original Greek, though, the main imperative verb here in this passage is mathetuo, mathetuo, which means make disciples. So when you're reading this, the main thing is make disciples. This means that everything around it in this passage is for the purpose of making disciples. So we can say with certainty that disciple-making is the main command in this verse. Yes, we are to go, but we are to go and make disciples. So how do we make disciples? What, like maybe you've been in church and you're like, I've heard that word, discipleship, disciple, make disciples, disciple-making, or some flavor of that. I've heard that before. What is that? How do we do that? Well, making disciples begins with sharing the good news about Jesus. It means telling other people the gospel, telling them the truth about who Jesus is and what he has done. Now, you know that here at this church, we've talked about the gospel uh, each week of this vision series, and on pretty much every other Sunday um, that you've been here at Crossroads, you have heard us reference the gospel. Um, Now, maybe you're beginning to see the importance and the centrality of the gospel message to our faith. There's a reason we mention it a lot. Um, because it is so central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Um, You could say that the gospel is the diving board into Christianity. You could say that. You could say that's how people know about Jesus. That's how they learn the good news about Jesus. Somebody shares the gospel with them. You could say it's the diving board in. But church, I'm going to tell you, it's also the pool. It's the deep end of the pool, and it's the ocean. The gospel is central to our faith. The good news about Jesus, the truth that you and I are sinners that are separated from God because of our sin, and that Jesus Christ, the sinless, perfect Son of God, stood in our place on the cross and took the wrath of God in our place, was buried in the ground, and according to the scriptures, three days later, he rose again. That is the gospel. He extends eternal life and forgiveness to all who will receive it and believe in his name. And people begin their journey of faith by hearing the gospel of Jesus proclaimed to them or reading the scriptures to discover that Jesus is Lord. And the cool part, church, like the best part about this is that God uses us to be his messengers of the gospel. He uses us. Yes, us. Like flawed, 
broken, imperfect people that don't have it all together, that don't have it all figured out, um, that's who God uses. That's the cool part. Like, we actually get to be a part of something much bigger than ourselves. Much bigger. In Romans 10, 14, it reminds us of how the gospel is spread. So, so now you're like, okay, I know that we're supposed to go. I know we're supposed to make disciples. That starts with sharing the gospel. Well, how does the gospel get everywhere? How do people hear it? And, and Romans 10 speaks to that. It says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Don't you see how this works together, church? Christ commands us to go and preach the gospel, for this is the way that people come to know him. They hear the gospel and they respond to it. If they respond positively to it, it's through repentance and faith. They hear the gospel, they're confronted with the reality of their standing before God and they turn from their sin and turn in faith to Jesus to save them. And the person and work of Jesus is the only thing that has the power to save people. It's not because we're, we're the best communicators. It's not because we give the slickest presentation. It's not our job to save people. God does that, but he uses us to spread the message. The person at work of Jesus is the only thing that has the power to save, and the message of the gospel is the only message. There's no other good news out there that can make somebody right with God. It's the gospel. And disciple-making starts with that, but then continues with two other things. You've heard of these before, I think. The first one is baptism. Baptism. Baptism doesn't save a person. We talk about this at Crossroads. We just did a baptism two weeks ago, and we talked about this right before um, we baptized somebody. Uh, baptism does not save a person. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. But instead, baptism is a way of going public with your faith. It's a way of going public with your faith. It's a way of, of saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. And it's the first command of obedience from Jesus for the new Christian. So we baptize at this church, at Crossroads, we baptize as we believe Jesus tells us to in Matthew 28, in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. If you notice, every time we baptize somebody, uh, we say that. We say, I baptize you, my brother or sister, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the crowd goes wild, because you guys celebrate baptisms like no other. Uh, I love it. I love it. Um, but baptizing someone in this way is expressing a commitment. We don't just do it because it's cool. Like it, It's a way of expressing a commitment to a life of following Jesus. And that's why every time before somebody steps in the baptismal waters, we ask the same two questions of every single person. We say, number one, do you believe that Jesus Christ has done everything necessary for you to be saved? And number two, do you commit to go wherever he calls you to go and do whatever he commands you to do? Baptism, church, is a huge milestone in the disciple-making process. And if you're a Christian here today and you've been baptized, you probably remember your baptism. You probably have that moment seared in your mind and in your heart um, as a moment that you went public and said, I've decided to follow Jesus. For some of you, that happened in this church. For many of you. And that's an awesome thing. The next thing, um, teaching. Teaching. So we have baptism and we have teaching. Now, baptism's a one-time thing. We're not, baptizing some, we're not baptizing the same person every Sunday. 
Um, but teaching is a lifelong, kind of always incomplete task. <laughs> so teaching is a lifelong, kind of always incomplete task for the disciple maker. We are to make disciples by teaching people, teaching people what the scripture says and how to apply it to their daily lives, how to follow Jesus, how to live in the way of Jesus. And many people think that this is reserved for the guy with the name tag. <laughs> like that's like, hey, oh, the teaching part, I know who does that at my church. <laughs> that's one of our pastors or one of our guest preachers or somebody at like, or that's somebody who leads in my group. Uh, that, that's my group leader. They teach. They know how to teach. Many people think this role is reserved for a select few. But on contraire, this command is given to all Christians. We don't believe Matthew 28 is for a select few, so we don't believe that the teaching part is either. At a bare minimum, all Christians should have the ability to at least lead people to know and understand what they know and understand about following Jesus. So you don't have to have a PhD in theology. You don't have to have a degree on the wall. You don't have to have attended so many hours of Bible study or anything like that to, to fulfill this commandment of Jesus. You don't have to do any of that. Um, you just need to lead other people to follow Jesus the way you follow Jesus. Teach them to know and understand what you know and understand. And as your knowledge and understanding increases, so will theirs because you are discipling them. But this is also, church, why doctrine and theology matters. This is why we have a statement of beliefs. Uh, this is why we focus on things like that, because we believe that right doctrine um, and right theology paired with it. So you have right doctrine, right theology, like right belief. You pair that with a desire that somebody has to grow in Christ-likeness, and that leads to right living before God. Now, this is why we place such an emphasis in this church not just on, hey, come listen, come listen, come listen on Sunday, come listen on Sunday. Sunday's great, but I get like half an hour. <laughs> it's just the way it is. If I go long, I get 40 minutes, and you guys are gracious, and I appreciate that. But, um, but, but that, that's it. That's a small amount of time. But we place such an emphasis in this church on studying the Bible for yourself, reading the Bible for you. Like, read it on your own. Read it in your group. Study it and talk about it with other people throughout the week. Don't just come on Sunday. We put a big emphasis on this. And we do that not so you can be a know-it-all, not so you can be puffed up and think that you know everything about everything, um, not so you can get prideful, but so you can tell somebody else about Jesus. So you can teach somebody else what you know. So hopefully now you see kind of how Jesus has laid this out. He's laid out a cycle of disciple-making for us. He uses us as his ambassadors, his messengers in the world to go teach and baptize. So first we go and we spread the gospel. Those who hear, they receive the gospel in faith, and they're to be baptized and taught in the way of Jesus. Next, those who have been baptized and taught in the way of Jesus are then in turn to go and make disciples themselves. Uh, one of the favorite things I, I heard from somebody that we baptized once is almost the moment I got, I, I got them out of the water, they were telling me the names of the people that I was, was going to baptize next. Because <laughs> they were like, I'm going to go tell them. <laughs> I'm going to go tell them about Jesus. And think about, it, it, so the cycle goes on and on and on, and it's a beautiful thing. And think about the practical implications of this. You are sitting here today. All of us are in this room today. If you are a follower of Jesus today, 
it is because Christians before you lived out the Great Commission. It's because they lived out Matthew 28, 18 through 20. They took it seriously and they thought that it applied to them. And if, think about this, if none of the Jesus followers in world history before us, or even in the generation before us, if none of them had spread the gospel, we would not have heard of Jesus, and we would not have had the opportunity to repent and place our faith and trust in him. If they abdicated that responsibility, then how would we hear, as Romans 10 says, how would, uh, how would we hear? How would we be able to believe if we have never even heard? And if we don't share Christ with others, church, if we don't go into the world and make disciples, then we're basically saying that the end point of Matthew 28, and this is hard to hear, but we are basically saying like the end point is us. <laughs> like it was written to end with us, that the story ends with us, that the plan of salvation stops here. And, and I don't think that should be our view. I think we should repent of that. I, I think that's a self-centered view of God's redemptive plan, and I think we should live in obedience to the Great Commission. We should respond in obedience to what Jesus has commanded us to do, and we should do that by going and making disciples. Third thing I want you to see, how do we go? Okay, so we're called to go. We're called to make disciples when we go. How do we go? We go because Jesus goes with us. We go and he goes with us. Going's difficult. Stepping outside of our comfort zone is extremely challenging for most of us. I get that. I totally get it. We tend to like the familiar, the comfortable, the easy. But when we are called to go and make disciples, many of us struggle, and I get it. I'm, telling, I'm speaking to you as, as one. Like, I get it. We struggle with fear, anxiety, worry. We start thinking about all the what ifs. We start playing scenarios out in our head, hypotheticals. But I want you to read with me again in verse 20. And these might be the most comforting words we could possibly hear from the Lord Jesus, from our Lord. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. When Jesus makes this promise to us in verse 20, he is promising us this, his presence, his power, his guiding hand all along the way. He will never leave us, church. He will never forsake us. He will never turn his back on us. He will never forget about us or forget to be with us, and he will never run away from us. And this is possible because God's Holy Spirit, which Jesus promises to every believer, God's Holy Spirit comes to live within us. The moment someone becomes a Christian, they are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. So theologically speaking, you can never be alone as a Christian because the Holy Spirit lives inside you. In what may be considered a companion verse to the Great Commission, Jesus makes a promise to his disciples. It's recorded in the first chapter of the book of Acts, which comes right after the Gospels, um, kind of in chronological order. Um, in Acts 1.8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Here we go. Here's the going part. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
And church, what's really awesome about that is the early church heard that and they believed it. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit did come and dwelled within them. And that early church, a a group of people that had no political influence, no power, no no real status in society, um, they took the gospel to the ends of the earth. And if we're talking about like the Middle Eastern region of the world where all of this happened, okay, uh, modern, uh, uh, modern day Jerusalem where all this happened, Guess where the ends of the earth is? It's us. The, like the gospel has spread all, we are part of the ends of the earth because to them, we would be the ends of the earth. And other references to the Holy Spirit dwelling within us include Romans 5.5. 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 1 Corinthians 6.19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Ephesians 1, 13-14, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So Jesus was with them and commits to be with us always. Think about this example. Imagine, imagine you're on the fence about going on a mission trip. So a mission trip is usually organized by a church. Our church has done trips in the past. Lord willing, we're going to be doing some trips in the future. But imagine you are on the fence about going on a mission trip to some faraway land, to the ends of the earth. And you're unsure because you're like, ah, you know, I don't know about the culture there. I don't know about the food or the language. Like, I don't know... Uh, like what I'm going to face there. Maybe it's a place, maybe it's a place where Christians aren't really welcome. Um, and this is like a on the low mission trip, like, and, and, and it's a place where like, it's not like safe necessarily to be proclaiming the gospel. And you're like, man, I'm really worried about the possible rejection I might face and like what that might mean. And, you know, or maybe it's a friendly place to the gospel, but you're like, you know, like I'm scared to tell my neighbor about Jesus. How am I going to go somewhere else and do that? And that's a fair question. And you should wrestle with that a little bit, but you're worried about these things. But then like, you know, you're, you're around the church office and you see a, you get a sneak peek of the RSVP list. Maybe I left it out on my desk and you look at the RSVP list and you see the name Jesus of Nazareth on the list. Like, He's on the RSVP list for the trip. And so you're like, man, I'm really worried about this trip. And, ah, Jesus of Nazareth. His name's on the list. He's going too. And you might say to yourself then, oh, well, if he's going, like if that guy's going, if Jesus is going, if King of Kings and Lord of Lords and the one that has authority over all, if he's going on this trip, then certainly I can go because if Jesus is with me on that trip, I am in good hands. In church, what I want to tell you is that is the reality for you. That is the reality if you are in Christ. He is always with us. He always goes with us. And he is always going before us and with us and behind us when we are sharing the gospel with other people. Jesus is always there. So how do we go? What gives us the strength to leave behind the comfortable, to leave behind the easy, and to go into the unknown to share Jesus with others. What gives us the strength to do that is Jesus. He goes with us. He promises to always be with us. So let's talk a little bit now as as we start to wrap up. Let's talk a little bit about how Crossroads fulfills the Great Commission. 
how does Crossroads do this? So now we know without a doubt that we are called to go and make disciples. I hope I've made that clear uh, from what the scriptures say today. Like we are called to go and make disciples. And we also know that disciple making includes sharing the gospel, calling people to repentance and faith in Jesus. Um, For those that do respond in faith, uh, we're called to baptize and then teach people about God's word, about what it says and how to apply it and how to live in the way of Jesus. So the next logical question is, Okay, Pastor Kyle, where do we go? (laughs) Well, when Jesus says go in this passage, there's two meanings in mind, two things. The first you could say is as you go. So go can mean as you go. So this is where we get the idea that we are to make disciples in the everyday rhythms of our lives. As you go. As we go throughout our days, weeks, months, and years, we are to be telling other people about Jesus along the way. God has placed each one of us, every person in here, he's placed each one of us in a unique circle, a unique sphere of influence, a unique season that involves other people. And we ought to be mindful of how God might want to use us in that sphere. So as you go, so when he says go, that means as you go. It also means go to the nations. It means go to the ends of the earth. This is where the international mission thrust of the Great Commission comes from. The, the phrase in the Greek, uh, when, Jesus says, um, um, when Jesus is talking about going to the nations, the phrase is panta ta ethne in the Greek, which means all people, tribes, tongues, and nations. Panta ta ethne, all peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations. Christians are commanded to go to the nations, and we are commanded to take the gospel with us. This is why we take international mission trips. We don't do it just to do service projects. We don't do it just to pat ourselves on the back and check off a box of, hey, we lived for Jesus today because we took a, we got on a plane. Um, like, 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 we didn't, like, that's not why we do it. We don't do it for those reasons. We do it to speak the gospel to those who have not heard it. In church, I just want, there are billions of people in the world today that live in parts of the world where they have not heard the gospel message. And these aren't the easy parts to get to. These aren't the comfortable places. These aren't the, the cushy spots to go hang out. Like, that's not, what the, that's not where the billions of people are that haven't heard about Jesus. It's, it's in the harder places. But that's where God calls us to go. That's where he calls us to go. And at Crossroads, we seek to fulfill the Great Commission both as we go and by going or sending those to go in the following ways. So I just want to outline those uh, for you a little bit here. We'll start with the local. (laughs) So local outreach, local outreach. God has placed by his grace and his power, he has placed our church in this corner of Brooklyn in the year 2023. (laughs) And so we focus on ministries to our neighborhood that help give us a platform by which we can share the gospel message. We, we share in word and in deed. We proclaim the gospel, we tell people the gospel, but then we also show them the love of Christ at the same time. And the best ministries that we do, I think, do both. 
And so things like the school supply giveaway, the partnership that we have with the Guild for Exceptional Children, which is a Brooklyn-based organization um, that serves children and adults with uh, developmental disabilities. We partner with them. I'm going to be excited in a, couple, in a couple months. I'll be telling you what we're doing for Christmas. Hint, hint. Um, we're going to do something really cool with them uh, this year. And um, the Easter extravaganza. Uh, event that we hold each and every year where we have like 1,700 people that come and they hear, um, they, they come and they experience the love of God and, and we share the Easter story um, through some handouts that we do there. Um, Next Steps Community Church, we partner with them. They do, they do like uh, uh, what you would call mercy ministry in downtown Brooklyn. Um, the ministries that we host in our office space for kids and for students and the ones that, that are part of our church and the ones that we also host from the outside. We believe that we are called to go and make disciples as we go, and that starts with the smallest circle, which is here. Then internationally, God has blessed our church with the opportunity to partner with a great ministry in the Dominican Republic, which what the work that they do, they alleviate multiple forms of poverty through gospel mission efforts, and they do it through child sponsorship and other programs that they have, and that organization is called Food for the Hungry. You've heard us talk about them before. Many of you actually sponsor a child through uh, Food for the Hungry through our church, and that's a way that, that we are helping to support those who are on the ground in the DR telling people about Jesus. Um, another big one, this is a big one, church planting, church planting. This is a crucial aspect of disciple-making um, because we believe here at Crossroads that, that God's plan A for making disciples and fulfilling the Great Commission is his church. It's his church. And I don't mean like the organization or the building. I mean like his people that are called together to go. The local church is the body of Christ. We are his hands and his feet to a lost and dying world. And the growth and the expansion and the multiplication of local churches is the way to get the gospel to all nations. And at Crossroads, we are just like super proud and grateful, um, thankful to be a part of not just one church planting network, but two um, that seeks to penetrate lostness through the planting of local churches. The first one is Orchard Group. They, um, we, we give a percentage of our budget each and every year to Orchard Group. So because of your generosity, we are able to write checks to an organization that plants churches in global cities all around the world. So they focus on the urban environment. And, and so global world cities are where they are doing their work. And so that would be, of course, cities like New York, uh, but also, you know, other places of influence like uh, perhaps Shanghai or Tokyo or London or Paris or uh, Sao Paulo or Rio de Janeiro um, or Nairobi. Like we have the opportunity to, to partner um, in global world cities. Also Summit Collaborative. Summit Collaborative that our church is a part of and has been blessed generously by um, through our partnership with them. Uh, they focus on North American church planting. They started out a decade ago with a vision to plant a thousand churches in a generation, and they're going to blow that number out of the water, and we get to be a part of that. Um, and it's just super, super awesome that we get to give to an organization that's all about starting new churches, healthy churches, planting churches. We're part of Summit Collaborative, Park Slope Community Church, where Pastor Logan um, and Daniel Kunkel, they have come and preached here. Um, that's a sister uh, church, if you will, because uh, they are part of the Summit Collaborative as well. 
And so through your generosity, we are actually able uh, to support church planting in, in multiple parts of, of the world. And if somebody uh, here, you know, New York's a city where people come and go sometimes. And uh, sometimes people will say, hey, like, you know, I'm going to be moving to Denver. Um, is there, like, how do I find a church? And I can say, well, there's actually a Summit Collaborative Church in Denver. <laughs> that you should, there's actually five of them now, I think. Um, and you should, go, you should go check them out. Um, um, over there because uh, these would be a great place to start because you're going to find a similar uh, DNA of a healthy church over there. And so church planning for us is huge to be a part of and Lord willing, this church will continue to grow and continue to expand and we will be able to be to a point where we can directly launch a plant ourselves, Lord willing, um, because we all know that Brooklyn needs more healthy churches. Lastly, as you go, everyday disciple-making God has placed you in a specific time, place, and season in your life for a reason. It's not an accident that you follow Jesus in the exact circumstances and setting of your life. That is not an accident. God did not accidentally give you the people around you. God did not, God did not make a mistake when he made you a Christian where you are. And so I, I want to encourage you, uh, encourage all of us, let's begin with a prayer to God to give us eyes to see the opportunities he has placed in front of us each and every day, each and every week to make disciples as we go. This might mean for you just finding the natural points of intersection with family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, classmates, Find those natural points of intersection where you're going to be doing something together with that person anyway. And do it with gospel intentionality. You don't have to, you don't have to show up with like your heaviest Bible like ready to thump. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying like think about the relationships that God has given you and how you can intersect those and ask God to give you opportunities to tell people about Jesus. Think about the everyday things that you do throughout your week. I know you don't sit in this room seven days a week. I, I, I know that. I get that. I don't either. Think about the everyday things you do. You eat meals. You run errands. You go to certain events. And do them with gospel intentionality with other people. But also pray and ask God whether he's calling you to go. To go to the nations. To go further. What we've said here at Crossroads before, um, and, I th and I think it's a good saying, is put your yes on the table before God. Put your yes on the table. Say, God, I'm willing to go wherever you call me to go and do whatever you call me to do to tell other people about Jesus. Put your yes on the table and then let God put it on the map. Put your yes down on the table. God will put it on the map for you. He'll show you where. Ask him to show you where he's leading you to make disciples and to share the gospel. And then ask him, because we all need this, ask him for the courage to obey, to do what he's told us to do. Remember, remember church, this is the good news. He is with you always to the end of the age.